Alright legends, welcome along to Hellmouth Hotline, I'm your host Rodney Stewart We're getting into a little chat now about Friday the 13th Part 2 Now I have made no secret whatsoever in this show that horror is not normally the thing I would really jump for first historically when I'm watching movies and uh, that was the whole point of starting this podcast was actually get in and uh, check out some of the old classics and you know because it's not that I've never watched horror movies but I've just uh, skimmed the surface of a lot of stuff of course a big fan of the classic Hammer movies and whatnot. Freddy Krueger we all know that there Jason of course from uh, Friday the 13th but uh, in all fairness the Friday the 13th movies were ones that very, very rarely got to check out, so it's been interesting to go and check this out. Um, you know, especially since you know, of course, we've eventually got the Freddy versus Jason. So, this was a natural progression for me after doing the Nightmare on Elm Street movies on the show to actually get on check these out. But I digress. Basically, uh, the plot of this movie, uh, two months after. The Murders in Crystal Lake and the first movie, uh, The Soul Survivor, Alice, is recovering from her experience in that there. And the beginning of the movie essentially starts off as like a, a recap of what happened in the first movie where she's asleep, she's having nightmares about everything that happens. Um, she wakes up in her apartment and uh, <laughs> there's a little bit of a jump scare where she thinks someone's at the window but it turns out to be a cat. But in her refrigerator, when she opens it up, to get some cat food for this cat that jumps through the window, the jump scares the cat. <laughs> she finds the severed head of Mrs. Voorhees, who she decapitated in the first movie. And uh, she's then very swiftly murdered by an ice pick, uh, by an unknown killer. You know, this covers a lot of similar ground in this movie. Um... Everything takes place five years after the events in the first one. Uh, Paul Holt opens a school for camp counsellors on the shore of Crystal Lake. And uh, it's, it's not the same uh, camp as the first movie, Camp Crystal Lake. This is a, a separate place on the same lake, but further up, you know. It's, uh, it's like we're not going to be stupid enough to go back to the original camp, but we're going to build one about a five-minute walk from the old one. So, uh, yeah, the camp's attended by uh, Sandra, boyfriend, Jeff, guy called Scott, you know, Terry, Mark, Vicky, Ted, Paul's assistant, Jenny, as well as a lot of our trainees. Um, around the campfire... Uh, later that night, when everybody eventually gets there, Paul tells the counsellors the legend of Jason Voorhees, a boy who drowned in the lake in 1957, sending his mother on a killing spree in uh, 58 and 1979, until she herself was eventually murdered. It essentially tells the story of the first movie what happened Jason drowned in the lake his mother went crazy killed all the counsellors and whatnot, and was eventually decapitated by this girl 
according to legend, you know, nobody knows for sure of any of this happens, the stories that's been passed along. Uh, according to him, Jason survived and is now living in the woods near Crystal Lake, enraged at his mother's death, and he will kill anyone he comes across. As Paul finishes the story, one of the other counsellors is in on the, the prank. Uh, he's just telling the story to get it out of everybody's system. This guy jumps up, scares the life out of everybody. And, uh, yes, um, Paul reassures everyone, Jason's dead, and uh, Camp Crystal Lake is now condemned and off-limits to begin near it. That night, Crazy Ralph wander, wanders onto the property to warn the group. And, uh, of course, he was in the first movie as well. And, you know, the old guy's like, you're all doomed. So we're not a kick in the ass into this movie until he pops up again doing his usual story. You know, pulls up on the bike. And he's like, I warned the rest of them people and they never listened to me. You listen to me or you're all doomed. You know, we all have that crazy character in these movies. So, uh... He's wandering about the camp at night, been weird as usual, and uh, he gets killed by someone. Um, the following day, Jeff and Sanders sneak off to Camp Crystal Lake and find a dog carcass that's been mauled. Uh, there's a dog similar to this one that's won't be one of the other camp counselors, so um, they don't think. When they eventually get back to the camp, they're like, should we tell her about this? And he's like, I'm saying nothing. We've seen nothing. Because what happens is they get, before they get into the Camp Crystal Lake from the first movie, they're caught by a deputy and returned to the camp. Uh, this deputy later, later, deputy later spots someone running through the woods wearing a burlap sack over his head for a mask. This is early... Jason, before they eventually settled on the classic design that we all know him as. So he's running about with this sack over his head. In this movie, uh, the um, the deputy chases him into the woods and finds uh, a shack that's been pieced together through just scraps and whatnot. And uh, the man kills the the man that he's following with the mask on, of course, that's our Jason, uh, kills him with a claw hammer. Um, back at the camp, Paul offers the others one last night on the town before training begins. He's like, this is the whole point of this. Uh, place is like a retreat for camp counsellors, and it's not like there's going to be any kids or anything coming to this camp. It's basically for the people that are going to be running all our camps come here to get training and whatnot. So before... They start under the hardcore training. He decides to, you know, give them a night in the town. And uh, six stay behind, including uh, Jeff and Sandra, who are forced to stay as punishment for sneaking off um, at the bar. Jenny muses that if Jason were still alive and had witnessed his mother's death, it may have left him with no distinction between life and death. Uh, he's just... She's like, you know what, He's, his mother was the only thing he ever knew. He was, you know, according to the stories that she heard, you know, like he he never got out, never had friends and whatnot, so like his mother was everything to him. And uh, he doesn't probably doesn't know the difference between life and death, or right or wrong. And uh, Paul dismisses the idea, 
saying that you know Jason's nothing but an urban legend. Meanwhile, uh, the assailant appears at the camp and kills all the councillors one by one. Essentially, there's some brutal deaths in this movie. It's uh, for the year it was made. It was you know a lot of practical effects thrown on there. There's just a lot of stuff that happens in it. Is you know well by today's standards, really, it's it's maybe not that brutal but you know at that stage fair fairly brutal in some of the the killings in this here but you know there's a lot of it is geniusly done in the fact that it's it's graphic to a point but there's a lot of it left to the imagination you know the the uh there's a point where they of course in these movies you're, you're just waiting for the the sex scene between a couple of the uh Counselors and then Jason pops up and kills the two of them. There's one point where he, the two of them are on on the bed together. One's lying on top of the other, and he comes with a, a spear and drives it right between the two of them and right through to the floor, uh, pinning the two of them to the bed with a spear. And uh, you see the the spear, uh, the girl's reaction, and his movement coming down with the spear, but you don't actually see it. You know, stabbing through the two bodies, but you do see it coming out of the bottom of the bed, and blood dripping down. So, you know, it's for me um, some of the the better, more classic horror movies were like that. You know, the, the, they would scare you more. With I remember a guy saying it on YouTube. I was watching a lot of tutorials back probably about seven or eight years ago whenever I was learning me a little bit of indie film and a guy was talking about horror and he was like you know what if you really want to scare someone through TV and movies whatever it may be what you don't show is sometimes more scary than what you do show and his example for that was was Jaws like, that movie is absolutely terrifying but you don't see a lot of the shark in it, and what you do see, you know, fair enough, but you know, a lot of it is, uh, you know, set up, and uh, they take it to a certain point, and then they let the imagination of the viewer take it the rest of the way, because, and his, his perspective was, what the viewer can make up in their mind will beat the pants off anything you can put on screen, so this is classic old school, uh, horror right here, that's great a uh, guy has his throat cut with a machete um, he's caught in a rope trap Terry's killed off screen upon fleeing this body uh, you see her that was one point in the, the movie where it was like okay I seen her running off um, she screamed reacting to something, again what you don't see can be more scary but that left the question in your mind is what happened to this girl because you know, you see all these horror people getting killed and whatnot. And at the end of the movie, coming up close to the end of the movie, you do see her dead body at a shrine that Jason has made to his mother. But we'll get to that. Um what else we've got? Uh Mark has a machete slammed under his face, he falls down a flight of stairs. Uh yes, Jeff and Sander. Spears they have sex. Already covered that. And uh 
a girl fucking gets stabbed with a kitchen knife. Um, the character Ted, he stays behind at the bar while Jenny and Paul return to find the place in disarray. In the dark, the killer ambushes Paul and continues to chase Jenny throughout the camp and into the woods where she comes across the the shack, the random shack that the uh, deputy found earlier in the movie and gets killed and and in there she discovers that uh, Jason Voorhees is indeed the killer and this is a shrine to Mrs Voorhees and on top of it is her severed head and the sweater that she was wearing in the first movie um, so Jilly decides okay right I'm going to put the sweater on pretend to be Mrs Voorhees and when he, Jason eventually breaks in the killer. Um, she tries to, you know, convince Jason that he, that she is indeed his mother. Uh, it works briefly. You know, she's like, you know, Jason, you've done well. Mother's proud of you. I've got a reward for you. Kneel down and whatnot. And uh, you can see Jason kind of, is this her or not? Is this her or not? But at the last second, she uh, moves slightly to her right, and Jason sees that the the severed head of his dead mother is still on top of this shrine that is surrounded by a couple of dead bodies. That's where the girl turns up to run away earlier in the movie. Didn't know what happened to her. She didn't get killed. She's here as an offering to Jason's mother. Freaky, weird, weird stuff. So, uh, yes. Um... Paul then suddenly breaks in. We think he was killed earlier on by Jason, but he survived. But uh, Jason incapacitates him. Uh, Just as Jason is about to kill Paul with a pickaxe, Jenny picks up the machete and slams it down on Jason's shoulder. They think that uh, he's dead at this point, and... Before they leave, they take the sack off his head, and you see the reaction their face to what they're seeing, but us as a viewer don't see it. When they get back to the the cabin, uh, they hear someone outside, thinking that it's Jason again. You're just waiting for it at the end of the movie. You always have that jump scare at the end of these films, and as they open the door, only to find Terry's dog Muffin that we thought was. Massacred by Jason earlier in the movie, uh, so the, there's a nice little happy moment where oh yes, the puppy has survived, and just then, an unmasked Jason bursts through the window from behind and grabs Jenny, and uh, then it ends off similarly to the first movie. She awakes to being lowered into an ambulance, and she calls out for Paul. There's no sign of him, uh, leaving has fit to the the viewer what actually happened to him at the end of the movie. Um, back in the shack, you know, we see Mrs. Voorhees' head on the altar, but Jason has nowhere to be found, and we close out the movie at this point. So it's that kind of open-ended finish that the first one had. Um, so you're left with more questions and answers really at the end of this movie, which is pretty good, you know, it's, I kind of feel, you know, not knowing a lot of the history on these movies, but I kind of feel that 
with the first one, they left, they had that open-ended thing where the the younger version of Jason pops out of, the, out of the lake at the end of the movie, pulls a girl off the boat. But then you're you're kind of left with the question: Was it a, a dream, something she imagined happening, or was it real? So you kind of have that finish at the end of this movie as well, where it's very open-ended. Really, could be like you know. Both movies, the first one and this one, could quite easily be the last movie they've ever made because it's just one of those ends where it could go either way. You know, you could continue it on or you could just leave it. But, uh, you know, so I think they were playing at this point as to see, you know, will these movies be popular enough to continue? But, uh, of course, we know they pretty much went on forever. Uh, I'm not even sure at this point how many there actually is in the series. But, uh, yes, this one here, uh, of course, came out in 81, shortly after the first one. It was produced, directed by Stephen Miner. Miner? Probably butchering his name. Uh, first movie directed. It was written by... Ron Kurtz and uh, yes, Adrian King, Betsy Palmer, Walt Corney reprise their respective roles from the first movie as Alice Hardy, Pamela Voorhees, and Crazy Ralph. Amy Steele, John Fury, Fury star in it, taking taking place five years after the divorce. Of course, we already said that. Uh, similar premise, you know, that's uh, pretty much beat for beat. The first movie over again, in a lot of ways, um, yes, but it, uh, of course it is the first movie in the series that uh, brings Jason into it as the main antagonist. Um, looking up some information on it here, originally Friday the 13th Part 2 was intended to be an anthology film based on the Friday the 13th Superstition. That's interesting. Uh, however, after the popularity of the f- original film surprise ending, the filmmakers opted to continue the story and mythology surrounding Camp Crystal Lake, a trend which would be repeated in every film in the franchise. Like the original Friday the 13th, uh, Part 2 faced opposition from the Motion Picture Association of America, who noted its accumulative violence as problematic resulting in numerous cuts being made to allow an R rating. The film opened theatrically May 1st in New York, Los Angeles and San Francisco. Uh, on May 1st, 1981, Friday the 13th Part 2 received generally negative reviews and was less financially successful than the first film, grossing $21.7 million in the US on a budget of one point. Two five million. So, yes, you know, for a film with a lot of negative reviews, that made a crap load of movie, movie crap load of money for nineteen eighty one, twenty one point seven million. You know, people look at that these days with you know the big blockbusters we're having now, and like what that's made absolutely nothing. It's like here, guys. 1.25 million budget brings back in 21.7. Of course, they're going to go and make an R sequel, uh, a direct sequel. Friday the 13th Part 3 was released one year later. 
you know, it's just like, you know, whenever something got popular, I guess, here back in the day, they tore the absolute backside out of it. And uh, this went on for goodness knows how long. Um, but uh, I'm enjoying it. Not as, and I've probably said it in the first review of uh, Friday the 13th, part one. Uh, and I did say it at the beginning of this here, of course, you know, eventually we got uh, Freddy versus Jason. So it makes sense to get into this here. But, you know, for me, uh, definitely the the best movies for me are my favourite out of the two franchises at this point is the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. You know, Freddy beats Jason hands down in my books at this point. But having said that, there, there's a heck of a lot of these movies that... Uh, I have to watch yet, so I'll make up my mind when we get to the end of it. I think now the only one offhand that I can remember watching 100% at this point is probably Jason X. And, um, yeah, if memory serves, a lot of people said that definitely wasn't the highlight in the series. But it is what it is. We will uh, check it out as we go along here. So, uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. It was uh, that sequence with the 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 mother's head on the the offerings of dead bodies to her was messed up, extremely extremely messed up. But uh, yes, it definitely brought an interesting side. To Jason, so I'm interested to see the rest of the movies and where the series went and uh, get into it a little bit more. But anyway, that's going to do it, guys. So hopefully, now the series is back uh, properly. This podcast, uh, we're going to be going two nights a week, uh, all been well, two nights a week. So hopefully, I'm aiming for. Mondays and Fridays at this point for uploads onto the show so if horror is your thing please give the show a little follow, give it a rating review all that sort of good stuff and uh, yes until the next episode guys stay safe and I'll talk to you all then This has been a production of Coins Edge Media Thank you so much for listening 